Vincent Canby of the New York Times calls this film a stunning spectacle, an adventure comedy not quite like any other, and the most benign movie ever made about 19th century capitalism run amok. Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times says, as a document of a quest in a dream, and as the record of man's audacity and foolish visionary heroism, there has never been another movie like it. And Letterboxd user Dirk Diggler says, Fuck La La Land. This is the film for the ones who dream. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of Fitzcarraldo. Reboot. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhoods Podcast. Accendini per lecetia. Wow. Or, in English, greetings starfighters. Wow, you really went for it, huh? Well, that's kind of the theme of this movie, is it not? Uh, that is very, very, very true. Klaus Kinski. Everybody, welcome... <laughs> Welcome to Ruined Childhoods, the podcast where me, John, and he, Dan, talk about the movies, the cult and classic movies that we all love. Or Dan, have you ever seen Fitzcarraldo before? No, this was my my first foray <sighs> into the filmography of Werner Herzog. Completely. All of it. I cannot think of another one of his films that I've actually seen. Wow. I, I mean, I, look, we'll get into it. This will not be my last. Okay. Okay. So, um, in, in fact, as I was wrapping up watching Fitzcarraldo, uh, I was watching it on Prime. So, of course, you know, it went right into Nosferatu. And I was uh. like, oh, I really want to watch this, but it's also getting late and I have to go to bed. And I'm like, yeah. Klaus Kinski will give me nightmares. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that shortly. But, um, yeah, so we, we talk about these cult and classic movies and how, you know, what we would do if we were to bring them back as some sort of new property. And, uh, yeah, this is a really cool one. I mean, I loved doing uh, double impact last week, Dan, that was so much fun. So much fun. We want to thank John Gabris for coming on, uh, had a great time. You know, about. we don't normally have guests on, but no. I feel like when we do, it's people that we really want to have on, people who really have something to say, and uh, Gabriel mm-hmm. certainly has a lot to say. Black silk underwear. Yeah. 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 When when you get somebody like Gabriel on, you certainly have to do a little bit less work <laughs> because you know that they've got their hands on the wheel the entire time. Yes. Yeah. Not that. The, and of course, this is this work is a, a labor of love. And actually, I wanted to I wanted to point out, you know, to those who may have started listening to us recently, listening for the first time, just in general, not aware of this. I would call us a just a two man crew. But I don't think I can put myself at that level because John is not only the co-host of the podcast, John does all of the mixing and mastering and all the things to make it sound great. He pulls the sound clips and he's got them ready to go. Uh, He takes care of the intro and everything. So 
there's just the two of us doing this, but I pretty much just sit here and go off on tangents and <laughs> like John does, does the rest. So well, I like to think that it's for me, it's more of just like, I am always trying to find a way to get nerdier with things. So it's like, you know, when it comes to doing audio clips, uh, our listeners won't know this, but Dan, you will see that on our remote podcasting platform, this is going to be the first episode where not only are we going to hear the clips, but Dan, you will also see the visuals of the clips. Not that it matters. Not that anybody, <laughs> not that we lost anything by only hearing it the last times, but this time I was just like, hey, you know, this will be fun. Wow. Yeah, this is a good one to start with on, on that. I thought so. I yeah. thought so. Yeah. Uh, but uh, do you have any more thoughts about Double Impact before we move on to Fitzcarraldo? You know, I've actually got, I've got a one more thing for Double Impact and I have a one more thing okay. for Hall Pass. So... Uh-huh. Um, so first we were talking about the double impact concept with clones involving another action hero and yeah. neglected to mention Arnold Schwarzenegger playing clones of Arnold Schwarzenegger in the sixth day. I which was going to say the sixth day, right? Yeah. Kind of a, a, it's a fun little movie. I've seen that it a was couple of that, times. That was in that era where he also did like... You know, eraser and stuff like that, where it's, it's post, like it's post end of days. End of days is kind of the turning end of point. days. Yeah. yeah. End of days, eraser and the sixth day where I feel like they all kind of clump into the same category for me where it's just like, OK, all right. Yeah. You know, insert like cool character actor as as the bad guy. Yeah. Insert, you know, uh, love interest that's 20 years younger than him. Because those were what probably late nineties. Eraser was ninety six, so Eraser celebrating yeah. its twenty uh, fifth anniversary this year. <laughs> um, my my hero James Caan uh, was is the, that the, bad the one guy with that. Vanessa Williams? Is that yes, right? indeed? Wow, Miss Save the Best for Last, uh, which was a hit <laughs> for those of you who aren't my age. Uh, it was a hit song of hers back in the early nineties. Right, yeah, it's a good song. Good song. Um, but of course, she's also, you know, known from her, for her performances on like Ugly Betty. Um, I think she's, she's really good Didn't on that. Didn't she do the voice of like a Disney villain? Oh, wait. I'm I'm feeling like um, we are very unprepared for this conversation, or at least I'm bringing up things that I'm not willing to like do the full research on. I guess yeah. I should probably grab my phone. We have all these things at our, and I'm like, I, I want to say maybe, I, I think my Disney Connect, did she sing Colors of the Wind for Pocahontas? I don't know. I You know, Pocahontas is one that I don't know if I've seen. I have not. I've heard the song Colors of the Wind. Because I was she, alive. She then. was in, and I'm pretty sure we must have mentioned this on the uh, appropriate episode, but she is on the, or was on the BET First Wives Club series. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Indeed. And her voice most certainly has come through the speakers of, uh, of our, both both of our TVs with the show Doc McStuffins, as we both have daughters. Yes. Yes, <laughs> who love Doc McStuffins. Doc McStuffins. Hey, I did toy surgery earlier, so. She was on The Good Wife, which is a, a fantastic show. Oh, yes. 
while while you're while you're doing the research because we don't both need to be doing this i'll share my one more thing for hall pass and um this is because i saw a pseudo remake not really i i i don't know how but I watched yesterday on Netflix. Mind you, I watched this oh. with my wife and, and daughter. This was her pick. She's seven. So yesterday, which is pretty bad. <laughs> the, so the idea is that the frazzled parents, Jennifer Garner and I want to say Edgar Ramirez. Okay. Is the father. You can uh, say it. I think I think so. I've again not it's not in my notes. Um but basically they you know they, they say no to so many things that their kids one of whom is 14 and she wants to go to like a like music festival with her like friend and her friend's older cousin. And of course, the friend is not a good influence, but that's neither Ah. here nor there. You know, they've got the precocious middle child and then the adorable, you know, youngest who's like around five. And the kids convince the parents that they should have a yes day. Um, And this is something that is suggested to them by their guidance counselor, who is uh, played- Julie Behar? No. (laughs) No, I actually had to stop myself because I started going into that and I was like, their wives are really frustrated. Nope, nope, nope. Um, <laughs> no, the, the guidance counselor at the school who pops up pretty much everywhere because I don't know, I guess I, I have no idea what this guy's contract was. Um, what's his name? He's oh Nat Faxon. Oh, yeah. Nat Faxon. Nat Faxon. I'm like, I know he's got real guidance counselor energy. Yeah, but he's he's kind of like the sad, pathetic guidance counselor who's like he's hiding. Academy Award winner Nat Faxon. Yes. Academy Award winner Nat Faxon. Screenplay for The Descendants, a wonderful film. And Mm -hmm. uh, so he. Yes. So he tells them about a yes day and he's like, this is what I do to my kids. And it gives them it basically gives it's like hall pass. It gives them the choice to do like, you know, the parents have to say yes to everything the kids want to do. And then it's like, you know, the kids kind of see that like, ah, okay, there are some things that it's okay to say no to, like go into some type of like 90s style rave. Um, The one thing I, I will give it points for Jennifer Garner who is she's got like I was watching her in this movie and I was like 1980s Diane Keaton Jennifer Garner oh. should be in a remake of Baby Boom no. like <laughs> I, I I was like this is the connection my mind is making so anyway yesterday is hall pass for kids and it is terrible you have to you you need got to it. spend a good 5 minutes after the movie explaining to your child like you, you have to point out the plot, so many plot holes in it. Like why you don't just like kind of gloss over it. Cause you're watching it with your kid. You actually right. point out the plot holes so that your kid knows this shit doesn't happen. Yeah. This is fantasy. This is not real. And Absolutely. here are all yeah. the reasons why. So yeah. yeah. Anyway, don't recommend it. Okay. And there we go. The, and that's all I have to say about that. Okay. I've got a, uh, a bit of, Sequel news. Uh, I don't know, Dan, if you saw, but Creed 3 will officially not be bringing back Sylvester Stallone as Rocky Balboa, making his first non-appearance 
in a Rocky universe movie. I had not heard that. I'm okay with that because of Creed 2. I feel like okay. I feel like unfinished business has been finished. Right. Well, Creed 2 was the Rocky 4 sequel. Yes, the Rocky 4 yeah. sequel slash remake. Yeah. <laughs> and I loved it. Hey, I thought that it was a lot of fun, and I, I don't think that it was as good as the first Creed. No. So I am very much looking forward to uh, seeing what they do with Creed 3. And Michael B. Jordan is directing, so it'll yeah. be his directorial debut, which uh be interesting to, to watch for, uh, for that reason as well. Very, very exciting. So, Dan. Yeah. Fitzcarraldo. Let's talk about <laughs> the, it. The ship gets sailing. Oh, oh, I forgot to drop my line from, you know, since we did Double Impact last week, from Roundhouse to Art House. Here we go. Yes. Here we go. How do you want to do this? Do you want to do the synopsis first for anybody who is unfamiliar with this? There's yeah. so much to cover for this. All right. So, Dan, what I'm going to do instead of uh, reading a synopsis the way I typically do, I'm going to let the man himself, Werner Herzog, describe the plot of 1982's Fitzcarraldo. It's a strange story, a little bit Sisyphus-like story, uh, a story of a uh, challenge of the impossible. The leading character's name is Brian Sweeney Fitzgerald, and since nobody can pronounce his name in the Amazon here, he calls himself Fitzcarraldo, and he also founds a town with the name Fitzcarraldo. There was a historical figure whose name was Carlos Fermin Fitzcarald, a caoutchouc baron. I must say the story of this caoutchouc baron did not interest me so much. What interested me more was one single detail, that was uh, that he crossed an isthmus from one river system into another uh, with a boat. They disassembled the boat and, and put it together again on the other river. And uh, that intrigued me to write a story about big opera in the jungle and uh, about a man who wants to bring Caruso into Iquitos and build a huge opera house. And he fails to, to get the money for it. And so finally he decides to make his fortune as a rubber baron. And um, he buys a territory which is out of reach because there are very, very strong rapids. And you can't move a big boat into the upper tributary. Um, and for exploiting an area like this, you need a big boat for all the logistics and transports and so. And what he does actually is that he moves in a, uh, in a parallel tributary because he knows there's one geographical point where the two river systems almost join. There's only one or two miles in between. And with the help of uh, 1,100 savage Indians, he moves the boat across uh, this mountain ridge. But it all fails because the Indians release the boat, they untie it and it floats downstreams and it crashes uh, through the rapids and everything was in vain and still with that defeat uh, Fitzcarraldo is able to turn it in some kind of a victory, a very painful one and that's basically the story of the film. So uh, I don't know if I could say it any better, probably because Werner Herzog is the best at saying anything 
the way that he speaks, everything is poetry, and uh, the, he is truly a madman. Uh, he is the kind of person that you want to be making films that no one else would be willing to make. Uh, he's the kind of person who can get shot during an interview and continue the interview. Uh, we said on the last episode that Jean-Claude Van Damme is the type of person for whom uh, the ter- the um, the of anything that starts with legend has it could very well be true. The same goes for Werner Herzog. And uh, the same could also be said about his relationship with Fitzgeraldo star, Klaus Kinski, uh, yeah. who did about what five, maybe, maybe five or six other movies with Herzog. They I think actually they did five. Yeah. Five total five. They, um, they knew each other from childhood. Uh, there's a movie called My Best Fiend all about the relationship between uh, Werner Herzog and Klaus Kinski. I don't have any clips because it's all in German, but uh, <laughs> it's really fantastic. And um, yeah, they they lived in the same like boarding house together. Uh, uh, yeah. At, as young men. So I was truly... I- Fascinating. I was I was watching part of that and what I think it was before he moved into the boarding house like Kinski lived in like this like the attic, attic. that was filled yeah. with like dead leaves up to his knees and he was always wa- he was always naked. Yeah. And I mean but it's kind of like you look at this guy and you're like of course he's crazy. Yeah, and leading up to Fitzcarraldo, he had already been in like 180 movies. Like, oh yeah, the math doesn't make sense. Like, how how did he do all this? And he made so many movies after this, and he's th- truly just a a wonder. I think it was just one of those like you know, as German film companies were starting to, I guess, exist and make films after World War II. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I think uh, in My Best Fiend, Herzog tells about the first time he saw Klaus Kinski on, ski- on, on screen. And it was like mm-hmm. this, I don't know, early to mid-1950s war movie that he has this, like, minor role in. Yeah. But it's like, he just, he stands out, like... <laughs> Well, I mean, there's so much about him that just really grabs your attention. Um, and by the way, he uh, uh, passed away in 1991. Um, so I, I would say poor one out, but he was kind of a bad dude. Oh, um, terrible. Terrible dude in every, I mean, I don't know if he's murdered anybody, but, you know, allegedly he was... Um, very abusive to his daughter uh, from a very, yes. very young age. And yes. uh, just kind of a monster. And yeah. um, Ab- absolutely like abhor- by all appearances, just like abhorrent, um, probably had a number of behavioral disorders. Um, oh, yeah. Like his Jesus tours that he would do. Where- Truly a madman. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, so it's almost like someone like that could almost only. Was he German? Yes. He was German. Yeah. So, but like, this is a guy who comes out of, you know, being living in Germany during World War II. Mm-hmm. I don't know what he did in World War II. Yeah, I don't think he had you know, much he to born- worry about. <laughs> 
He was, oh my God, yeah, look at him. He was born in 1926. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I didn't do any research ex- exactly about what he was doing between the, the mid 30s and, and mid 40s. But uh, I, I don't know. Needless to say. Oh, and, and, and it's worth noting that he actually was not originally cast in this role. He replaced, of course, Jason Robards. Wow. I, I mean, the difference <laughs> between those two actors is really astronomical. And also, uh, he is kind of a combination character of Jason Robards as Fitzcarraldo and also Mick Jagger, who played... Uh, his kind of like right hand man, and oh, right. um, yeah, yeah. And so, who, which char- what character did that become? Oh, like the it didn't become anybody. Okay, it I didn't become it was like anybody. The, the tall dude. Actually, you know what? I'm going to uh, let Werner Herzog say it himself. And I have decided that I would not replace his part. You can't replace him. So I think that's the uh, biggest loss that I have had in my career as someone who makes films. Wow, bold words. Uh, but basically what happened was uh, Jason Robards came down with like a form of dysentery and uh, had to be replaced. And then the Rolling Stones were about to go on tour for like two years. So uh, I think it was their first farewell tour uh and then he was just like well i i don't know but um there is a scene oh sorry just to put things in perspective their most recent farewell tour was postponed by covid that's how recent that was yeah (laughs) so uh floating around online and dan have you seen the movie burden of dreams it's the documentary about the making of uh no, I have not seen that yet, but uh, after watching Fitzcarraldo, I... Uh, it's necessary viewing. Yeah, have so to see there's it. A scene, there's a scene in the movie where Fitzcarraldo goes up into the bell tower of a church, and he's basically yelling from the top of this church and ringing the bell about how he's going to bring the opera to to this small village in Peru. So I'm going to play first the version of that scene with Jason Robards and Mick Jagger, and then we'll play the scene with uh, Klaus Kinski. Music in your soul. Oh, yeah. Come, come and join <laughs> us. <laughs> and now here's the Klaus Kinski version. This church remains closed till this town has its opera house. I want the opera house. I want my opera house. I want the opera house. This church remains closed till this town has its opera house. I want my opera house. I want my opera house. I want my opera house. Wow. 
Jagger, it sounds so much like Mick Jagger in the beginning of that dancing in the streets uh, oh. duet he did with Bowie, where he's like, South America! <laughs> <laughs> and I love Robards. I mean, I, I, I but man, it, I, it's hard to argue. It's almost like a Robards portrayal would have been very well acted. And it, I'm sure. It would have been very Merchant Ivory. It, fe- it would have felt like very Merchant Ivory. Um, whereas this feels feels so signature. And I'm saying this, this being the only f- film of Herzog's that I've seen. It, it just kind of feels like there's a stamp on this film that having Robards wouldn't uh, it wouldn't have given it. And I think I, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's like a big movement, like release the Jagger cut or something, but <laughs> well, it would be, I think they shot about 40% of the movie. I imagine everything except for moving the boat <laughs> over the, yeah. over the small yeah. mountain. But yeah, basically, yeah. so I want to say that like, and I, I feel very like uneducated saying something like this because I've, I definitely watched a lot of Herzog stuff, um, Back when I was in college and then, you know, when the he would release documentaries uh, in the subsequent years, I'd check them out. But like, I feel like I, I was more knowledgeable about Herzog and his films, um, like, I don't know, between 15 and 20 years ago. But there's definitely a theme throughout a lot of his movies about, you know, people who are driven to madness by their desires and... Uh, Grizzly Man is a really good example of that, which is a fantastic documentary. Um, then also with Herzog, Aguirre, The Wrath of God is um, also, you know, it's just this person who, you know, really just, I don't know, uh, d- delusions, you know. Um, yeah. Just the, a completely over the top person, of course, played by Kinski. And, and Fitzcarraldo, you know, it's this person with this, with this dream, this singular vision, and it, we don't know exactly how he found his way to Peru, um, how he got involved with this community, and why he's there, especially because he loves the opera so much, you would think that he would just want to be someplace where it's around him all the time, but... You know, he is there and he has this dream. And what um, what Herzog glazes over in the synopsis that we played is that he is a kind of a failed entrepreneur, but he's the kind of person who people believe in. And so one of his dreams, well, one of his goals to raise money to to start this opera was to kind of create this railroad system. And then when that failed, he had he started to get into this business of selling ice and that wasn't really going anywhere. And his girlfriend, Molly, who is a madam at a A brothel, brothel, uh, I can't necessarily tell if he actually loves her or if he's with her because of her connections. Uh, I think, but he... she, but she gives him the idea to, you know, rub elbows with certain people and get into the rubber industry, yeah. which he doesn't feel. He's like, even even though the movie starts with him like trying to crash an opera, um, That's so good. 
it's like that's the only way that he feels comfortable around like the the rich and powerful, the rubber barons. Yeah. Uh, you know, of, of uh, Peru or um, I'm sorry, is that where where this is? Yeah. I feel like I don't know if he's yeah, specific. I feel like they filmed it in Peru. It's in Peru. Um, there's uh, they they were filming this also. Uh, there's so much we could really talk about. I know we're just going to be talking in zigs and zags this whole time, but you know they were filming this uh, at the time, unbeknownst to Herzog, that there was this conflict between uh, Peru and Ecuador, and right. they were kind of getting right in the middle of it. And uh, this movie. For me, the, you know, and, and I don't know if I'm just maybe looking at it from this angle because it's so present in my mind, um, but a lot of it, I feel, definitely has to do with the with native rights and exploiting natives, uh, the indigenous peoples of certain lands, and certainly industry and capitalism is uh you know finding its way into the lives of these of the indigenous peoples of these areas and and forcing them out and i actually i don't know if this was in um no it wouldn't have been in my my best fiend but it's definitely in burden of dreams but basically what they did is they paid the indigenous people who are in this movie $3.50 a day which was, I think, twice the amount that they would get if they were doing any work anywhere else. And they would also make money on the side selling the ability to take photos with them for also $3.50 a pop. So they were actually making quite a bit of money. But the thing is, they didn't have much agency when it came to doing anything about their land rights because Mm -hmm. the land even though it is the land that they live on does not legally belong to them in the eyes of their of their the country's governments so by working with him on this movie Werner Herzog would help them purchase the land so that nobody could develop on it and that was I think I mean definitely the right thing to do and Uh, a really fascinating way that he got involved with these people and i mean you know in a way he's all he's doing what fitzcarraldo's doing he's exploiting the native people to fulfill his dream uh at least he is doing things to help them as a result he's it's not one-sided there there's such an authenticity or it feels very authentic at least like it rem- uh you know other films uh or other like filmmakers that it reminded me of like it reminded me of like a terrence malick film at times mm. um y- you know where you're just where it's almost where it's visual poetry and yeah. it it's almost like the story doesn't matter right now but uh to your point about you know kind of what this film shows with the, you know, Europeans beginning to, um, you know, profit off of, off Mm -hmm. of the land and from the people, you've got this great shot in the film as, as the, uh, as the ship is, is going upriver. And it's like the backdrop is just beautiful, lush trees. And then there's just this, the pipe with black smoke 
yeah. chugging out. And it's like this, um, you know, this virgin territory has now been been tainted, tainted. by by the yeah. mark of industry and it's just like well pff. i thought like the visual po- the like the visual me- meaning of that and just that it it's like y- yeah this this corruption of of the culture um you know by this in, invasion of of europeans and you know of course colonists um yeah i, I i'm not sure what they don't really address that much in this, but it seems like it would be. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely present in Herzog's mind as they're filming. And I'm going to play a couple things from burden of dreams, which is streaming on the criterion channel. I got a two week, uh, free trial <laughs> just for the purposes of doing this. Oh, sweet. And, uh, uh, it's, that's one of those where it's like, once I can afford to justify having one more thing, it's it's going to be that. So I'm trying to take advantage of every day of this 14-day trial. I watched uh, The Hustler last night, which I hadn't ever seen before. So Oh, wow. Me neither. That was a lot of fun. I've never seen it. Seen Color of Money. Well, that's why. I'm, uh, now I'm like, got to watch Color of Money. So uh, here's a little bit from Burden of Dreams about native culture in the area. In this case, we will probably have one of the last feature films with authentic natives in it. They are fading away very quickly. And it's a a catastrophe and a tragedy that's going on. And we are losing riches and riches and riches. And we lose uh, cultures and individualities and languages and mythologies. And we'll be stark naked at the end. We'll end up like all the cities in the world now with uh, skyscrapers and and a universal kind of culture like like the american culture and uh before we just move on from that i want to play one other thing where he talks about the you know the native people that he is working with it should not end up as a ethnographic film i also stylize them and i have them in the film as they probably are not precisely in their in their normal life they do things that they normally would not do they act in that film and that interests me even more yet they have an authenticity of their culture and their behavior their movements their language in it that will just uh, disappear from the face of this earth i don't want to live in a in a world where there are no lions anymore or where there are no people like lions and they are lions nobody says a sentence uh, like Werner Herzog <laughs> no no and it it just what was it that he, yeah it 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 speaks to what i meant about like i'm like i am perceiving this as authentic with very little knowledge of what would right. actually be authentic so it, um i i like that you know, he does, he's like, I'm not going for 100% authenticity. I'm going for like 90, 95% authenticity and with a little stylization. Yeah. And Herzog is nothing if not very thoughtful. And uh, I do want to make sure to like give him credit for considering, you know, being delicate about the the cultures and and burden of dreams i mean which by the way when a movie has a documentary about the making of it you know that it's going to be something special but in burden of dreams they explore 
what happens with actually working with a lot of these indigenous peoples on the set. And, you know, when you have people from different tribes and who have different customs, there's a lot of considerations that you don't know about until they become an issue. Like these people can't eat the food that is prepared by that type of person or, you know, this, this and that. And there were times where there was really low morale and what Mm -hmm. was customary in those tribes, what to do was to get them a sex worker. And, you know, that's just, he was, he was just kind of listening to, I think he was actually told by like a missionary, like a religious missionary who worked with the particular indigenous tribes, uh, who kind of advised him on how to approach different situations. So it's just really fascinating. And I have a question, uh, and I don't know if this is covered at all in, in burden of dreams. Uh, which crew member offered to kill Klaus Kinski? <laughs> you know, that wasn't in Burden of Dreams. I I don't know. I know that they each had plans to kill the other, have the other person killed at one point, Herzog and Kinski. I uh-huh. know that there were times where they were threatening to kill each other on the set of Aguirre, The Wrath of God. Well, there's the, there's, yeah, the, which in my best fiend, he, he talks about, he's like, I did not direct him with a loaded rifle pointed at his head. Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of lore that goes along with these two guys. And it's hard to really figure out what's true and what's not because all of it seems so believable, but would only be believable with the two of them and not with anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking about like how Kinski apparently locked himself in a bathroom for 48 hours and just smashed everything to pieces while he was in there at the boarding house. Yeah. I have no trouble imagining this. Yeah. uh, A complete madman. But, but that's why he's perfect in this. <laughs> he's perfect in this. Uh, the parts where he's meant to play sincere, I buy it. Like, when he has to take it down a notch, he does such a good job. But then once he's provoked, he kicks it up. Uh, I'm going to play a clip from the the first meeting that he has with a uh, a very wealthy rubber baron who kind of helps him get into the rubber industry. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is where he's really talking about his passions. This is right after he goes he goes to he crashes that that opera. I'm doing all of this. Because I have one dream, the opera, the great opera in the jungle. Fitzgerald will build it, and Caruso will sing at the premiere. It's only the dreamers who move mountains. Gotta love that foreshadowing. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and, uh, and Claudia Cardinal. Uh, She's wonderful. No slouch from, uh, you know, Sergio Leone's Once Upon a Time in the West. That's right. Yeah, which, like, she's pretty badass in that. So Yeah, she's great. I, I think that she's awesome. Um, there's this awesome scene where he's, like, telling her that she's not going to come with him on the journey. And 
to make up for it, he gives her this painting of the two of them where she looks all lovely and everything. And he just looks like crazy and weird. Oh, my God. Do they sell that print anywhere? That would probably oh. sell so well for like film nerds. It's oh, so weird. All right. Um, yeah, you know who, uh, we haven't talked about are the members of his crew. Uh, love the captain. Yeah. That guy's, uh, he's yeah, a good guy. I'm going to play a clip of him first meeting the captain. He's interviewing cool. for crew and, uh, the captain, I, I'm blanking on his name, but he's so good. What's your name? Poor reason, Brink. I'm Dutch, but they call me Oronoko Paul. Because I know every gun and bend in that river. You've sailed the river safely so far? Yes. My last ship was the Adolfo. My sight isn't so good, but I cannot be fooled. What do you mean? The jungle plays tricks on your senses. It's full of lies, demons, illusions. I have learned to tell the difference between reality and hallucinations. I see you took part in the Pachitea expedition in 96? Yes, as helmsman. On the return trip, I was the captain. The captain died. There were only five survivors. So badass. He's so badass that I'm... I keep wondering as I'm watching this, I'm like, why is he doing this? Like, why is he putting up with this shit? <laughs> like, he's too good for this. But he just I seems to be into it. He's he's like, fuck it. <laughs> and then there's, what is it, Arokeke? Is that the uh, chef's name? The crazy cook? Oh, yeah. Who brings on his, the, the women, his the two women. assistants. My God. Um, it's like Arokeke or something like that. He's wild. And then there's the the guy, the mechanic, who comes with the boat. He buys the, the boat, by the way, from the um, uh, Don Aquilino, who's the uh, rubber baron that um, we met at the beginning of the movie. And who's, I don't know, he believes in Fitzcarraldo. And it's kind of a weird dynamic that they have. He kind of shows them the ropes about you know, harvesting the rubber. And um, the only reason why there's this piece of land that, you know, Fitzcarraldo can buy and harvest the rubber from is because no one else is willing to go into the, uh, travel to the area where he can get it because they think it can't be done. But this is the guy who does things that people say can't be done. Yeah, yeah. And and yeah, the character's name is Hurakeke and Hurakeke. the actor's that's also the actor's name. <laughs> is it really? Hurakeke Enrique Bohorquez. Oh yeah, that's um, true. Uh yep. And and then there's Cholo who's played by Miguel on Angel Fuentes. Right. I, I'm, and he's I just like apologize. this big menacing dude. And he's like the Richard, he's like the Peruvian he's Richard, Richard Keel. Keel. He's he Richard totally Keel. He totally is. He absolutely is. Um, he's got this, he kind of like, I feel like at first he's just like, oh God, this Fitzcarraldo dude is so weird. But then he's kind of just like, you are a crazy bastard and I am here yeah. for it and let's do and this. I am sorry, he's not Peruvian, he's Mexican. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
my mistake. So, but yeah, I like like it uh like towards the end he's just like, "Yeah, man, I'm I'm in. I'm in. I had my doubts, but <sighs> you're crazy." Yeah, he's like, "Oh, you're going to let me blow stuff up? Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Count me in." Yeah. It's cool. It's cool when he joins in. Yeah, so, you know, this movie is I'd say most well known for the fact that they actually moved a boat over I mean it's not a mountain it's you know a a piece of land that it's a a big hill it's a pretty steep incline yeah yeah uh but yeah you know they actually moved it over all in one piece if you watch Burden of Dreams, you'll find out that the there were like engineers brought in to try to help them figure out how to do it. And like one of them was like, if you do it this way, if it goes wrong, which it probably will, maybe like 20 or 30 people will die like for sure. And mm-hmm. so they and Herzog was just like, well, we we have to do this. We have to do this. There's no other way. So that guy left and they found someone else who <laughs> would sign off on it. And uh, it, it it did fail. Nobody died. And um, they, you know, they managed to that engineer was Dr. Anthony Fauci. <laughs> he found a way. They so didn't like his truth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, it was, it's just like one of these movies where it's like the lore behind it is as well known as the movie itself. And it's one of the reasons why you watch it is just to see this thing that like seems crazy to do. Like now, forget it. It would be all done digitally Uh, and it would look fine, but like, you know that this is all done in a very you'd authentic way. S- you'd see it in the trailer. It would be, yeah. you wouldn't have to see the movie. They would show it in, in the trailer, you know, kind of in, in slow motion with, with some type of like, you know, really slow acoustic version of a like hard rock hit from the early nineties. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> all I can say, here comes the boat. <laughs> That my life is, you know. Um, <laughs> Actually, that's not a bad one for it. <laughs> like just like just it's just like um, uh, it's like Phoebe Bridgers and a xylophone. That's it. Oh. <laughs> and then just like these slow hey. motion, like all the trees flying everywhere, and yeah. like you know. Whoever's playing tables going haywire, whoever they have playing Fitzcarraldo, like whatever Willem Dafoe, uh, with like just like laughing with a Victrola, like holding up a Victrola, like say anything. Well, it's that's funny that you mentioned Willem Dafoe, considering I mean, he didn't play the Klaus Kinski version of Nosferatu, he played the like Max von Schreck or whatever in Shadow Vampire. But, you know, the two of them did have a bit of a uh, a through line there. Yeah. No, it, it, it occurred to me a few times or, you know, it just, I thought of of Willem Dafoe. I, I mean, Willem Dafoe is kind of an anomaly. I think Will, like. Oh, yeah. Willem Dafoe has been in 
every type of movie. He's played every, he's Marvel Universe, DC Universe, Wes Anderson been, Universe. Has, the Wes Anderson Universe, the David Lynch Universe. Has he done a Coen Brothers film yet? Like um, I don't know. And he seems to have age. Is it the Martin Scorsese universe? He's Jesus yeah. in the Martin Scorsese universe. That's true. Man, Willem Dafoe just is like, he's done everything. He's been everywhere. And I was just, I was thinking about him because I'm like, well, of, of course. I'm like, who would just go balls out like this in a, in a yeah. performance that isn't, you know, actually a, you know, homicidal maniac right no you're you're totally right i mean look we could talk about the ins that's and not outs my, of that's not my proposal by the way yeah i mean do we do we want to talk about our ideas a little bit and then maybe come back to some fitzcarraldo things or do you want to just kind of stay on the path let's stay on the path let's okay. let's let's stay, stay you on know the we're, amazon we're, you don't want to go up river we're, uh we're not ready for the rapids yet uh <laughs> We're not ready to untie the boat. So one thing that we haven't talked about yet is why the natives untie the boat. And for that, I'm going to, I'll try to explain it best I can. And then I'm going to play a clip. But basically what happens is the, there is a full crew on this ship as, you know, as they prepare and everything, but as they get deeper into the Amazon, they start to hear the sounds of the native people. And there's certainly the stories of, you know, what happens if you piss them off or, you know, what they get, what they're going to do. And at a certain point, the crew in the dark of night bails they're just like, forget it, we're out of here. And it's basically just like the captain, Erekeke, and um, the mechanic. Cholo. Cholo. And and Fitzcarraldo, of course. And um, what happens is uh, he hears about this lore that the native people have heard that, that you know, the gods will send a white man on a boat who is going to be their savior, essentially. It's very strangely specific. <laughs> it is, like, yeah, it's very, very specific. And I, there's actually a few clips that I want to play, but basically what happens first is he gets out his, you know, phonograph and plays Caruso. And uh, I think that for, you know, the native people, they they see that as their sign, or at least that's what we're led to believe. So let's see. Um, which do I want to play first? So I love when he, when he goes for the Caruso, it's great. Yeah. Uh, so let's do that first. What's an umbrella doing here? It must have belonged to one of the missionaries the Ivoros killed. It might be a last warning from the gentleman in the forest. They love such gestures. He gets at the phonograph. I 
these are the best moments of his. His love for opera. Now it's Caruso's turn. Now it's Caruso's turn. Oh yeah, oh, the visuals are amazing. I, you know, there's this thing that's been going around on uh, on Twitter where someone, you know, you write like, you know, the, he knows the assignment and it's like different oh. actors and things. And it's just like, in this case, Kinski knows the assignment for sure. Um, so then the next day, I, I think it's the next day, they find out that everyone's left and uh, this is the exchange that happens. These Hivaro people left the interior of Brazil about 300 years ago. For 10 generations, they've been wandering through the jungle, looking for a white god in a sacred boat. And they believe at the end of their pilgrimage, the white god would show them a land without sorrow, without death, where people stay young forever. We are gonna take advantage of this myth. What the hell has that got to do with us? If a bear ass gets too close to me, I'll let him have it smack between the eyes. This god doesn't come with cannons. He comes with the voice of Caruso. Man, he's got such a hard-on for Caruso. But it's... It, and it's kind of like... Maybe not the one thing that really makes him... Re, that makes him relatable. It, it's the, it, it humanizes him. Whereas he just seems like this maniac who wants to you know, build an opera house in the jungle and wants to push a boat over a mountain. That love of opera is really just like, he's, he's peaceful and he's really passionate. And he just like, ultimately he just, he wants to do things that are going to help people. Like he's, you know, trying to make ice in in this, you know, in, in the middle of the jungle. So, and he's also friends with like all of the little local kids you know, they're, they oh, always yeah. just want to hear the opera music, you know, and they, they love to have him play it for them. So, but it's, it's so, he it's sees so the joy great. it brings to them. Yeah. 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 I really, I, that's one of my favorite parts of the film. And, uh, clearly for, uh, from my choice of, of intro, the, the opera aspect yeah. of the film definitely left an impression. So, uh, what what ends up happening is that the natives untie the boat after they have brought it onto the other river past the pongo which is the 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 wild rapids that they're trying to avoid and they uh they untie the boat because it is they they're sacrificing the boat to the to the gods i believe it's something like that i yeah i i can't say i was entirely following but yeah so uh, Fitzcarraldo ends up having this uh you know this this meeting and kind of back on back on land where he's you know kind of dealing with his his failure to you know to do what he set out to do and he said he gives this like awesome little mini monologue that I wanted to play and uh I saw, when I watched this, I was like, man, Kinski was so damn good. What are you pointing to? Oh, I just wanted to. Uh, so I, I I looked it up and it's that the chief 
wanted to appease the river gods who would have been angry like that Fitzcarraldo basically defied nature his his hubris by moving the boat over the mountain that's you're defying nature and i guess also defiling because of all the trees they cut down but oh yeah uh, that's the explanation that i get is that the chief wanted to appease the the river gods so makes sense yes yeah well anyway so here's this uh this clip from from where when he's kind of dealing with his failure i will tell you something at the time when America was hardly explored, one of those early French trappers went west from Montreal. He was the first white man to set eyes on Niagara Falls. When he returned, he told of waterfalls more vast than immense than people had ever dreamed of. No one believed him. They thought he was a madman or a liar. They asked him, what's your proof? He answered, my proof is, I've seen them. I love that. That's a really powerful, yeah, that is a really powerful moment. Yeah, he follows it up by saying like, I don't know what that has to do with me. You know, it's just like, uh, this guy did this crazy thing like all these people well not all these people but people believed in him he you know tricked people into thinking that he was some sort of god like he someone died all this stuff yeah yeah right (laughs) like one of the guys dies while they're trying to get it up up the mountain yeah it's just like it's it's incredible. It's this absolutely amazing movie. I remember seeing it when I was in college and just loving it. And uh, I uh, I'm glad that I kind of waited a while to watch it again because it was one of those times where I was just like I had forgotten so much about it that it was almost like watching it for the first time again. And mm. there's a lot that I I either didn't maybe missed the first times around or maybe like, you know, when you're 20, you don't pick up on things the same way. And, you know, currently in the times that we're living, we think about things a little bit differently because of certain things that come that are on the that are in the news. And I mean, I'm speaking more specifically about, you know, the rights of the indigenous people. That's something that I wasn't thinking about so much when I was 20 and that I'm thinking about a lot lately. And, you know, it kind of makes the movie very different to view it in that way. And, um, yeah, it was just, Dan, I'm, I'm glad that we did this, especially right after double impact. (laughs) Yeah. Reverse palate cleanser. I don't know. Uh, uh, but yeah, yes. As I said, roundhouse to art house. Sorry, I'm gonna just drive that one into the ground. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know what? This is so unrelated to the film, but I and I don't know if it's too late for this or if it can happen. I don't know if we'll ever do an episode where we talk about Amadeus, but yeah. I whenever I think about who's a director that I would like to see do the, a remake of Amadeus, I. I do think Werner Herzog's Amadeus would have been would have been something. Ooh, that would have been wild. Yeah. Oh yeah. my goodness. 
Yeah, Herzog, you know, he he definitely always has a vision and he really takes you on for for quite a ride. Uh, there was that movie that came out in 20, let's say, geez, 2010, maybe the uh, Cave of Forgotten Dreams. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. The and 3D. Yeah, it was in it was done in 3D. I saw it in the theater and mm-hmm. I was like, Werner Herzog in 3D about a cave. I've got to see this movie. <laughs> and it was incredible. It's the kind of thing where it's like, no one, you won't have that experience again because you won't be able to see it in a theater in 3D probably ever again. It's not like it was, you know, it's not like it did so well or is remembered so fondly that people are still like, you know, showing it. But it was really this amazing experience. And he brought it around at the end to talking about like albino alligators in a way that like only Herzog can do. And I will also... I want to make sure that we mention Herzog's sense of humor about himself yeah. and how that's been brought into his acting career. And, and, you know, he showed up in Parks and Rec as this, like, weirdo. Uh, he's in the movie. Um, he voices a documentary filmmaker in The Penguins of Madagascar. And it's like, oh, my God. He yeah. certainly... Knows what he's doing. He um, pops up in those things, and then you're like, "What the Werner Herzog?" He's in the Mandalorian, and yes, yeah, and people, you know, you you hear about the things that he says on set of the Mandalorian, where he sees, you know, the baby Yoda uh, puppet, and he's just talking about how like amazing how incredible this thing is and he's in love with this puppet and it's like it makes you i I mean it made me you and the rest of america it made me really like watching the mandalorian a lot more because it's it's like signed off by this incredible filmmaker this incredible voice yeah gives it some credibility well i mean it's got plenty of credibility let's it's got plenty of credibility yeah (laughs) I was looking to see his uh, acting filmography, but he's directed so many things that he's directed so many things. Yeah, yeah, he's great. Uh, Dan, you got to see Grizzly Man. It is absolutely fantastic. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. At, and at, and at this is also <laughs> this is also the person who, when there is an opportunity to tell a fascinating story about a fascinating life. He will risk everything to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think that this was in maybe the late seventies or the eighties, where there was a a volcano that was going like everyone was like, "This is going to erupt any minute now." Everybody left except for one person, and so he <laughs> wanted to make a documentary about the person who refused to leave as this volcano was going to erupt, not knowing that the volcano wasn't going to erupt as we later found out but was just like you know what it'll be worth it if i can tell the story and i mean unfortunately it's you know not one of his films that people are talking about anymore because mm. it's like he risk uh, aside from right now that he, but like he risked his life to make this happen and it's like the stories behind some of the movies are sometimes greater than the movies themselves 
Uh, but it's just like yeah. the passion of these people of this person who has, you know, the, these dreams and, and sees the value in stories that should be told. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at his, his Wikipedia page here and God, it's um, gotta be the craziest Wikipedia page. Well, the, I mean, there's multiple Wikipedia pages. I did not uh, realize that he directed a uh, concert film for the killers. Did he really? Yeah. That's interesting. Um, uh, before yeah, we anyway. move on, before we move on to what we would do, I want to play uh, a couple of other things talking about the Amazon and uh, in this clip, he talks about how he and Herzog's views of the Amazon jungle differ. Of course, we are challenging nature itself and it hits back. It just hits back. That's all. And that's grandiose about it. And we have to, to accept that it is much stronger than we are. Kinski always says it's full of erotic elements. I don't see it so much erotic. I see it more full of obscenity. It's just, and nature here is vile and base. I wouldn't see anything erotical here. I would see fornication and asphyxiation and choking and fighting for survival and growing and just rotting away. Of course, there's a lot of misery, but it is the same misery that is all around us. The trees here are in misery and the birds are in misery. I don't think they, they sing, they just screech in pain. And then he goes on to say... It's an unfinished country. It's still prehistorical. The only thing that is lacking is, is the dinosaurs here. It's like a curse weighing on an entire landscape. And whoever goes too deep into this has his share of that curse. So we are cursed with what we are doing here. It's a land that God, if he exists, has, has created in anger. It's the only land where, where creation is unfinished yet. Taking a close look at, at what's around us, there, there is some sort of a harmony. It is the harmony of overwhelming and collective murder. And we, in comparison to the articulate vileness and baseness and obscenity of all this jungle, uh, we, in comparison to that enormous articulation, we only sound and look like badly pronounced and half-finished sentences out of a stupid suburban novel, a cheap novel. And we have to become humble in front of this overwhelming misery and overwhelming fornication overwhelming growth and overwhelming lack of order even the the stars up here in the in the sky look like a mess there is no harmony in the universe we have to get acquainted to this idea that there is no real harmony as we have conceived it but when i say this i say this all full of admiration for the jungle it is not that i hate it i love it i love it very much but I love it against my better judgment. Wow. Wow, indeed. It's it's like now you understand where like the the parodies and the impressions 
Oh come yeah. From. Well, also, and I can't help but think about this, but like you know, part of my everyday life, part of my day job is you know can can involve interviewing people. And sometimes people, you know, they don't have very thorough answers or their answers are very basic. What I would give to have somebody answer a question the way that Herzog answers questions where you're just like, I just asked how your breakfast was this morning. And you're telling me about how this place was, you know, created by God in anger. Okay. And when I broke the yolk of the egg and it leaked, I said, this is destruction. This is the destruction of life. And it oozes everywhere throughout it. And I admire it and I fear it. And I hate it and I love it. <laughs> and I see it as a symbol of sexuality and fertility. Now, that would be the way that Kinski sees it. But he doesn't <laughs> see it that way. He just sees it in, in, in pain and loss. I love it. Oh, my God. So, Dan... What would you do? Oh, man. What would I do? Okay. So um, I was circling around a few ideas. And first, I got, I started with some directors that if if there was going to be another film version of it, that I feel like would, would do a nice job with it. And uh, those four, well, I guess technically five, are um, Baz Luhrmann. Okay. Baz Luhrmann's Fitzcarraldo would be, uh, you know, uh, certainly a visual feast. Uh, the Coen Brothers Fitzcarraldo would, um, you know, it makes me think of uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And I could see it working in that way. Oliver Stone, but I feel like it's like I want the Oliver Stone of 30 years ago. Okay. Yeah. To direct it. And I, I was also like, Julie Taymor would be interesting. Okay. And it's Julie Taymor who would also be an interesting choice to direct my, my proposal and, um, kind of two ways. Cause first I was thinking, Oh, well, this should be an opera. But then I was like, yeah. I feel like having the device of an opera would work better, would work better as a musical. Okay. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about Broadway musicals where there's a spectacle and, uh, like the, the ship sequence would be, however you would do that would be a spectacle. And I imagined it could, there could be more humor in it. And I'm, you could go more with the psychological factor, have Caruso as a character and have Fitzcarraldo get his guidance from Caruso. And uh -huh. that when he, when, when he's like, what do I, what do I do? I'm in this situation. And he puts on the Victrola and, you know, Caruso comes out and sings to him and they duet and, or Caruso can come out and have dialogue with him and be funny. Um, I, I think you'd have a lot of room for some cool music, some really creative ways of staging, and just a hell of a showcase for a, uh, you know, a, a Broadway lead actor. A The first name that I thought of was like Norbert Leo Butts, who I, I think people would recognize him if they saw him. He's been in... Uh, 
in a bunch of films and and television, but also uh, on Broadway, he played Steve Martin's role in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. That's okay. where I first uh, came to know of him. But I mean, you know, it's it's not like I I don't know that you need necessarily need to center it around a you know a name or a, a personality. So. Um, I think it could really sell itself and, you know, perhaps a, you could get a Julie Taymor or even Herzog himself to stage it. He has staged, uh, other than killers concerts, uh, uh-huh. you know, operas. So, um, I'm imagining this like, you know, really kind of epic musical, like almost a, you know, like a Les Mis. Mm hmm level okay epic yeah yeah uh i'm trying to think if i have anything to add to that but i'm like use the music um i mean like this is a role that like without the right people doing it on film this is a role that could come across as like it could end up being a you know crazy nicholas cage movie herzog's already done one of those bad lieutenant Port of Call, New Orleans. So, so yeah. So I, I feel like if, I, like, I would be really intrigued if there was Fitzcarraldo the musical. I'm like, I'm interested. I'm intrigued. I would, I'd buy it. I in a in a war in a world in a post COVID world when it is safe to return to the theater. Uh, I will happily, you know, don my mask if necessary and. Uh, and buy a ticket for Fitzcarraldo the musical. What I, would you do? I'd be very intrigued to see that, and I, I would be there right there with you, um, a few rows away to be safe. Uh, what would I do? I feel like, you know, I've been talking a lot about how the the motives behind making the this movie the way that it was made, uh the things that were learned about making this movie the way that it was made were certainly, you know, part of its story and burden of dreams as a documentary, you know, definitely showcases that and burden of dreams, you know, it's really just a platform for, uh, you know, un you know, raw footage from the production and like just like man, man, look how crazy this was and Herzog saying crazy things. There's definitely it's mostly like a showcase for that. It's not as much of like having its own perspective. But I think that I would love to see, and I know that I've talked about this before for other movies, but a making of movie. Um about you know the making of Fitzcarraldo and I think that it would probably also have to include it would probably have to start with you know years earlier like the finishing the making of Aguirre the Wrath of God Mm -hmm. because that definitely plays into this but um I think that and maybe like a hint of like young uh Werner and young Klaus, you know, uh, you know, tying that whole thing together. But I think that there definitely should be a a narrative movie about the relationship between these people and culminating in the making of of this movie. And um, 
uh, you know, just cause it's, it's the, it's so fantastical the way that it was done. And, um, I don't know who I'd want to direct it. It really depends on what angle you take. I think that there's definitely a place for a more comedic version that could be like, I don't know, David Wayne doing something like it. Or, or you know, it can go, you know, uh, take a more serious path, but there's definitely room for humor in it with somebody like Ryan Johnson, uh, you know, behind the wheel. But I, I don't know too much um, more about, you know, other people that I'd want involved. I thought that for Kinski, considering the the age and the look, I was thinking that it would be really fun to see Owen Wilson maybe uh, try to do a, a German accent and not a Texas accent the way that he does in every movie. We're going to drag the ship over the mountain. <laughs> wow. You know, like the cow jumped over the moon. I don't. Know. I feel I like he could have like a real Kinski look to him, and it would give him an opportunity to like do something even more wild than he's than he's done in the past. And uh, to play Herzog, I mean, definitely the last. It turns out the last thing I googled last night. Uh, I, I realized this when I looked at my phone this morning was uh, actors with puppy dog eyes, and. Uh, <laughs> My my search didn't give me anything that was def- was very Herzog worthy. Although I think that maybe Ryan Gosling, uh, in the right circumstance, could pull something like this off. I think that he would be age appropriate for the age at which uh, Herzog was when he was doing this, mid to late thirties, I think, something like that. I was thinking if we wanted to go for German authenticity, August Deal, I like a lot. Um, he was Dieter in Inglorious Bastards. That's probably what you would know him best okay. from. Um, not that he looks like Herzog, but if you wanted the German authenticity. Um, but anyway, I, I don't know. I, I think that that's the path what I would about want like a, to take. What about like a Paul Bettany? Paul Bettany. Hmm. Maybe. He's definitely like got the the frame of a young Werner Herzog. Um, I feel like he could, I, I feel like he could do, for some reason, I feel, I, I don't know. I feel like he, he could, he could get the accent down. I have no, I'm sure he could. I think he's wonderful. This, I think he's, I, I really liked him in uncle Frank that came out last year. Um, oh yeah. I haven't seen that very, yet, but he looked very good in very that. Good. Um, clearly he's good in the Marvel movies. He's good in, yeah, he's 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 been around for a long time. He's I've great. always enjoyed Paul Bettany. A beautiful mind. Beautiful mind. Master uh, and Commander. Yeah, I think you know he was definitely uh Knight's you Tale. Know, he's memorable great in, Knight's Tale. in uh The Da Vinci Code. Uh-huh. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean not not the best movie in the world, but Not the best movie, Paul, but I thought that he Paul was Bettany good. Paul Bettany only added to it. Yes, exactly. Yes. So, yeah, Paul Bettany, I think, would be very good. You know, the thing is, like, when when you have a a Herzog, in order to do it in a genuine way would be really tricky. You would almost... That's why I was thinking that, like, a David Wayne comedic version of it would be a fun way to do it is because you could get a little cartoonish and have somebody like... Andy Samberg or, you know, like someone. Well, I'm, th- I'm thinking about the the film he did uh, about a futile and stupid gesture. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. I was thinking of Will, the Will Forte. Uh, yeah. Will Forte yeah. would also be great as uh, Herzog. As, 
As Herzog or, or Kinski, I don't know. Or both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which I really like the treatment, uh, the treatment for that. And yeah, I, I don't know, David, that would be an interesting, uh, Dave, David Wayne next, next move for David Wayne. Yeah. I do. I like him as a director. Like I, I enjoy his films and yeah. Yeah. I could, I could, uh, <laughs> I could see it. What matters is these will never happen, so it doesn't matter what we say. No, it it does. Although I wouldn't be shocked if Fitzcarraldo the musical happens someday. <laughs> I won't be the one to make it happen, but I it's the type of thing that I could see happening in some way, shape, uh-huh. or form. Yeah. So yeah, that's where we are on that. <laughs> or it could be a. Uh, a series. It could be the counterpart to Mozart in the Jungle. You could have Caruso in the Jungle. I was thinking about that. I was thinking about how this is much more Mo- Mozart in the Jungle than Mozart in the Jungle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I haven't seen that show, but gotta wonder. Did I saw did the first couple some... of episodes? Yeah. Yeah. There's no jungle. Talk about there's someone no who would have been yeah. a good Klaus Kinski at a time. Malcolm McDowell, because Malcolm McDowell is in um is in that show malcolm mcdowell though like uh, yeah he's definitely too old now (laughs) i feel like he went from like uh 30 to 60 really fast (laughs) you know that he did yeah yeah uh, agreed agreed love malcolm mcdowell but love malcolm mcdowell yeah anyway so any any last words any any uh you want to Fitzcarraldo is on- currently streaming on Amazon Prime. Watch it; it is so good. It's it is definitely just worth watching. And it 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 it's a beautiful it's a beautiful film. It's a challenging film, but uh, definitely worth your time. I feel like a more credible, um, you know, movie person having having seen it now, and I will continue <laughs> to seek out the films of Mr. Herzog. Yeah, what do you think is going to be next? <laughs> what do I think is is going to be next for him, or what? What do I what think do I is going to be, next gonna be the next Herzog movie that you watch? Oh, um, uh, it could be Nosferatu. Uh, mm-hmm. It could. I mean, it kind of depends on what's streaming. So it could be. It could be Nosferatu. It, it could be Agur Aguirre Aguirre Aguirre. Uh, Aguirre, the Wrath of God. The Wrath of God. Yeah, I mean, it'll probably be one of those two. Possibly um, Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans. Probably <laughs> not Grizzly Man. I feel like I, I, I need to be in a... I don't Grizzly know. Grizzly Man is wild. Um, sorry, <laughs> going back to acting, he was the villain in Jack Reacher. The first Jack yes. Reacher movie. Yes. He had, like, no fingers or something. Like, that was, like, his quirk. But I great villain. I don't remember. Yes. Great villain. Yeah. Well, you know, they probably couldn't get Willem Dafoe. So. So they got someone better. They got Werner Willem Dafoe was on the list. Like, unless Willem Dafoe. I was watching Clear and Present Danger recently. Willem Dafoe pops up in that. Yeah. It's like, ah. Yeah. And I'm never, I'm not complaining. So. You know, and it's like, I could easily see a. Um, of Werner Herzog, The Lighthouse. You know, that's definitely something that I could see oh. him doing. 
Yeah, you could tell uh, it was at Robert Eggers. Uh, yeah, probably inspired a bit. By, well, that's the thing Herzog. is Herzog. You know, he's one of the one of the greats and one of the most influential directors. And man, glad he's still around. Glad he does things like Penguins of Madagascar, uh, which also stars John Malkovich as the villain Dave the Penguin, uh, not the Penguin, <laughs> the uh, the octopus named Dave. <laughs> and boy, is he John Malkovichy in that. It's wonderful. That's fantastic. Uh, you know, that's you've given me two oh, solid reasons to watch that movie. You know who else would be a great Herzog, a comedic Herzog, is Bill Hader. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Anyway. Who I recently watched in uh, uh, The Skeleton Twins. I recently oh, watched it's, for the first time. I saw that in the theater. I was, um, I remember I was picking somebody up from the airport after work one day and it was going to be quite a while. So there was a movie theater nearby that was playing and I just popped into that until I was due to go to the airport. Great movie. But yeah, not and a greater story that I just told. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> speaking of great stories, shall I share uh, what's going to be coming up on our next episode? It almost sounded like you were going to introduce the, a movie that's a share movie. The way that you said share. <laughs> you kind of leaned uh, into that word a little bit. No, though now I am frustrated that one of the lead characters in this movie is not played by Cher, because that would have been awesome, especially when this movie came out in the amazing movie year of 1989. Yeah. And we're going to be talking about, we're going back to the action well. It's going to be Tango and Cash, Sylvester Stallone, Kurt Russell, Jack Palance. I hope that no one's getting whiplash from these hard turns we're doing on this show. No, if you're along for the ride, you are along for the ride. Sharp turns, etc. Yeah, well, Dan, I am very, very excited for for having these. You know, you when we when we logged on earlier. You said that for some reason you were feeling Tango and Cash was going to be the next one. And I was looking at our list of maybes and I saw that right before you said that. And I was just like right on the same page with you. So very excited. Like, well, not like Tango and Cash for most of Tango and Cash, but when it really matters, like Tango and Cash. When it really matters. And Alex and Chad. (laughs) And Alex and Chad. That's right. Took me a second. Well, okay. Dan, as you as you uh, journey through the Amazon on your uh, on your ship, I wish you a very good journey. Good journey. Hellfire. Keep the camera on my good side. Here we go. 
You call yourself a best rapper You in the cover band is playing sledgehammer In your cup hands is a pet hamster Your genitals are sitting on wet pampers Hold up while I test this red snapper Militant like a pledge panther A hunt big game nigga I collect antlers And you got bitch problems Breast cancer Hellfire Karina once at the slander Make you eat a crap filled with chia pet dander And I always stay on the set with cameras I go her song nigga you dead like dirt dog On your movie making blames in the booty shit in vain on the moving gravy train that bit excruciating pain cause I'm in the house they be like witch house I make witch house I bet your bitch house worry nothing but a speed of one that picks now y'all must have printing over shocking me like I'm Chris Nolan my scathing critique of your shit leaves your script molten cause you wanna drive Porsches to the water lose have a home like the fortress of solitude so on set you storing shit to a hollow tube but at the end you're just gorgeous piranha food he's hers I'm P.T. Anderson At your premiere I snuck 3D cameras in I bootlegged your shit for the downtrodden Cause you got your film degree at a clown college You use brown polish like a white racist And shoot titles in sans serif typefaces Take five paces, turn and gale fire I nail you to a big board like Mel Typer No secret, I tell you I smell wiser I got a bunch of girls pregnant cause I sell diapers And I'm a goddamn genius the Mark Marin, a dark-skinned art baron Smart like lucky kids that get born to smart parents Defeat them locally grown farmers market card carrots I eat fair trade cheese and fart fairness I go burner Herzog I go burner Herzog I go Herzog Which means I get large bread art cred Smart heads are fed I go burner Herzog I go burner Herzog I go Skip the introduction, buddy. I'm not mingling. Holes on my dick, cause I look like John Singleton. Cut like Tarantino with this big ass machete. Once I read my notebook, word to Nick Cassavetti. 12 frames, half a second, clockwork, Stanley Kubrick. A rap session, I'll put my nose in. I can't be Buddhist. I learned my lesson. I'm really a savvy student, but dark like Tim Burton. The look fits like a thin person, but I'm just a happy human. Before I see a stupid rom com with a nice chick, I might get the right grip to set up a light rig attach a gopro to the popo's nightstick and assault him with an ice pick and ask him how he likes it excuse me Ugh, my swag sharded i feel like shaft with a shag on shag carpet these rappers aren't factors they're actors with no sad cards in they think they the truth but they that gossip rag garbage written shit of freestyle homie i'm that murderous remember me i used to enter them rap tournaments breaking nigga spirits like a bag full of glass ornaments but bitches time to eat now show me where craft services thinking out loud like an introspective extrovert if i play the background i'm directing not that extra work bus at 16 but i decided to put in extra work to make some strippers drop it super mega low and extra twerk rappers said they don't hate but most of them do i feed off it like Vigo and ghostbusters too i can roll up your crew a throat fuck your boo whatever transpires is so up to you lights camera action the whip is fully covered so i might have to crash it getting southpaw hjs from a right-handed Ratchet, the airbag deploys, the credits start to roll, how anticlimactic, hellfire.